Talk 1110-993 WBT, hour number three underway. The Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Trying to see who this fellow is, Josh Dawsey. He is, uh, oh, investigative political reporter for the Washington Post. The investigative political reporter for the Washington Post. And he asks this question on the Twitter machine. Quote, here's the thing. The committee that's looking into the J6, right? The J6 committee has Secret Service testimony that would seemingly corroborate or dispute what Cassidy Hutchinson said. But it wasn't played. Unclear why. David Hersani at The Federalist, he says, eh, I don't know, it seems pretty clear to me why a committee run by one party would not share evidence that undermines the narrative it's trying to build. Right? This, you got to keep this in mind, too. This is what I mean. When I talk about you try to see all, the, all of the angles, this is what testing the theory and the argument is about, right? You try to think in terms of, okay, well, what does my adversary say? Okay, here's this information, all right. How do we prove that? How do we disprove that? What are, what are its weaknesses? What are its strengths? So this obviously is a problem because now Hutchinson has put the Secret Service. I was going to say in the crosshairs, but I, I'm not I'm not trying. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get like all Sarah Palin here. So um, but no, she she's raised them up as people to either corroborate her story or to undermine it. And either way that that goes down, you know, it's going to have ramifications, big ones. Now, I don't know what her motives are. Maybe she's thinking, hey, I'll, you know, pull, I'll, 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 I'll be like an Amanda Carpenter or something. I used to work for Ted Cruz and now she's all over CNN, you know, bashing on uh, the Republicans. I don't know. You know. Maybe she's going, maybe she's looking at, you know, her career and maybe she's thinking I can do Lincoln Project or the Bulwark or Dispatch or whatever it is. I don't know what her motivations are. I don't know why she tried to get a gig down at Mar-a-Lago right after the horrific events of January 6th. And if she was so horrified, as she said, by it, then why would you go to work for the man down at Mar-a-Lago? And Harsani is right. And this is what I was talking about before uh, uh, the news, but at the end of the last segment, which was the composition, Nancy Pelosi's decision to make this uh, committee comprised of obvious partisan and biased actors. This is what this is what we have now. The inability to trust anything that is coming out of the committee. Is that by design? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not for those reasons, or maybe not, or maybe originally for different reasons. I don't know, but I hold that out as a possibility. Let me go to some more tweets. These are Pete tweets. Justin says, Pete, generally I agree with you regarding investigations, but the Mueller special counsel was intended to stifle the Trump administration, keep the admin busy with the investigation as to keep it from achieving its political goals. I I agree, Justin. I agree. But the benefit of it is that I still get to point to it now and say they didn't find anything. Right? Think about that. Like, 
had Mueller been shut down, as people were saying it should have been shut down, had it been shut down, what would the left be arguing to this very day? They would be saying that the only reason Trump got away with his Russian collusion was because he shut down the investigation. See, this is what I mean. If there, All right, so there's a clinical psychologist his name or psychiatrist. His name is Jordan Peterson, and he made a statement a couple of years ago, I think, and it has stuck with me, which is the truth is always the best answer. And it may not give you the desired results you want. I mean, sometimes there's going to be pain. You're like... You know, your options are bad and worse, right? But that, generally speaking, doing the right thing, telling the truth, that is going to be the better alternative. Because you're going to have bad things happen regardless. Um, And that's just one of those things I look at that like investigations. I would rather know. I would rather have the information. And it may be uncomfortable, it may stink, but I'd rather know. Because it helps me be a better informed citizen, you know? Um, let me see here. This is, uh, oh, hang on. This is, all right. So, uh, Pete, yes, I could have been open to consider real evidence if the makeup of the committee would have included Jordan, Banks, and other Republicans as appointed by the Republican minority leader. Pelosi destroyed the credibility before the committee first met with her actions. So, uh, some of yesterday's testimony as presented would have would have stopped even by Judge Judy based on it being hearsay, which is only used in show trials in non-constitutional republics. So we need to hear yesterday's testimony without the hearsay, which only the media could do. I believe that the Dems are attempting to have a congressional resolution indictment, which they will present to A.G. Garland for a D.C. grand jury, which bring it forward for a trial in D.C. All of this might delay Trump from running, as this would play out in early 2023. Uh, That is from my dad. Um, And then there is this. Yeah, he listens. Um, And then there is this. Hang on a second. Where's the email? From David. Pete, can you please cover the sergeant at arms dying before his testimony about professional agitators? Why does the media cover lies instead of this? That's from David. Um, So, yes, Michael Stenger, he was the U.S. Senate sergeant at arms. He resigned after January 6th. He died. He has died. He was 71 years old. And according to the Associated Press, if you can believe that he's even dead, because they're reporting it, Stenger died Monday of natural causes, according to two people familiar with the matter. One of the people said he had been diagnosed with cancer and had been ill. The people would not discuss details on condition uh, of his condition publicly and spoke on condition of anonymity. Stenger had served in the role as the sergeant at arms since 2018 and had previously worked for the U.S. Secret Service for more than three decades. Senator Mitch McConnell, who was the majority leader at the time, requested his resignation the day after the storming of the Capitol. The Senate's top Democrat, Chuck Schumer, vowed that he would fire Stenger when he became majority leader later in the month. The House Sergeant at Arms, a guy by the name of Paul Irving and Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund, also resigned after January 6th. Stenger and Irving testified to the Senate Rules Committee back in February of 2021 about security at the Capitol, the response to the attack, and the decision in the days leading up to the riot 
as members of the Capitol Police Board, which oversees the force, to not have the National Guard at the Capitol in order to quell any violence. Stenger was also mentioned extensively in the committee's report examining the attack. Um, And uh, then they go on to add here that news of his passing has fueled baseless conspiracy theories online with some social media users calling his death suspicious. Um, Stenger died of natural causes. No evidence. There is no evidence that he was set to testify again at this hearing, at any of the hearings. So that's uh, so there. I've, I've covered that, too. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. By the way, I don't bring you this, uh, the information that I do and spend, you know, two hours talking about the testimony from the J6 uh, hearing yesterday. I don't do this to to agitate you or others. I, I don't do this to, uh, to make people feel uncomfortable or to virtue signal or anything. Uh, I do it just to provide the information give you different perspectives on it because here's the deal. Here's the deal to quote Joe Biden. Um, when you're, when you're at your next family gathering, I guess, you know, independence day, you're going to be hanging out. People are going to be there and you're going to have that, you know, that lefty niece that's just, you know, from Brown university or something on break, or you got the crazy rabid lefty uncle or whatever. And they're going to, they're going to give you information that you heard me mention today, right? They're going to mention this stuff to you. They're going to say, oh, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Whatever. And if you hadn't have heard this show and the brilliant way that I have uh, provided (laughs) the information in an informative and entertaining, and I've just been told relevant way, then, then you'll be caught unaware you will have no uh, uh, response, no explanation. Somebody will say this to you. Oh, yeah. What about when you know Meadows came down and Meadows said, "Who cares? Uh, Pence deserves it." And you had not heard that information before, and you don't know where it's coming from. What's your response going to be? I don't believe anything that I heard out of that committee. Well, did you hear this piece? No. Always keep in mind. Right? You're not having the argument, you know, the debate, rhetorical. You know, you're not having this discussion with somebody in order to persuade them that they are incorrect. That's not the point. If you always keep this in mind when you're entering into a conversation, things go differently. If you're having a discussion with somebody and you're the only two there, right, are you trying to win an argument with them? Usually, that feeling of trying to win an argument, usually that comes about when there are other people watching. So always keep in mind that when you're having these discussions, these debates, these arguments, you're trying to persuade the other people that are listening, that are not the ones that are actively, you know, yelling in your face and engaged and what about, what about? Like They're not the ones, because you know, that person you're arguing with, right, they've taken their position, but there are other people listening, and they haven't committed, at least publicly. You don't know where they stand on some of that stuff. And if you don't have a good answer, if you don't have a good explanation, that, that one, that, that's an L for you in that debate. And if that's an L for you, that means that other person takes the W, and now you've lost somebody 
and they're just going to accept whatever that other person was arguing, even if they were wrong. So that's why I do this. Give you the information. Arm you with the information. I'm not telling you to believe it, but I try to keep an open mind. I recommend it for others as well. And that's not to say, you know me, you've been listening, right? I've got opinions on this stuff. Absolutely, I have opinions. But I also recognize there are some things that I don't know. I mean, there are very few, very, very few things. But there are some things I don't know. All right, let me go over here to Jimmy. For example, I don't know what Jimmy's going to say. Hey, Jimmy, what's going on? <laughs> hey, Pete. <laughs> what's up? Um, so when all this this stuff, when they're going to start doing this to DeSantos? Because he, he, to me, he is the smart Trump. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I, Jimmy said that. I did not say Look, I think, I think Trump is smart. I do. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's got some, uh, some ADD issues, you know, so like trying to stay focused and that sort of stuff. Um, I think they've also – I think they've already started with DeSantis. I think that's what a lot of that COVID stuff was about, you know, a lot of the, uh, the attacks on him for his COVID policies and – these accusations that, you know, they're firing people who want to just tell the truth about the data and all this stuff. I think a lot of the attacks on DeSantis have been COVID related because of the uh, the way he responded. What do you think? Yeah, but this doesn't do our country well that if you are on a certain side of the slate, which I think now they would love to have George W. Bush back and- <laughs> They would love to have Romney back because they don't really fight back at all. Yeah, I th- let's think that through, though. If Romney were to announce he was running for president again, do you think that they wouldn't smear him the same way they did before? Not, not right away. <laughs> not right away, yeah. No, that's true. Well, and that's the thing. They didn't smear Donald Trump right away either. They thought he was a joke, and they wanted him in there right to undermine all of the other candidates. Yeah, they thought he was the joke, but yeah. Right. He was like, the countryside down here was like, oh my God, we can't wait to vote. Yeah. People who had never voted before. Right. People who had never seen a voting booth before. <laughs> yeah. So this was, this was the old joke about the only, um, the only Republicans that Democrats and media, but I repeat myself, uh, the only ones that uh, Democrats and media like are uh, the Republicans who are dead or who lost presidential campaigns. Those are the only ones that they tend to, uh, that they tend to respect. That's it. <laughs> Everyone else that's alive uh, or uh, have won presidential races, they tend not to like so much. Jimmy, I appreciate the call, buddy. Thanks. Thank you. All right, see ya. Um, oh, and I know that's not necessarily true. They like, I mean, it's not just losing presidential races. If they lose any race, really. Well, except Madison Cawthorn. That's, they don't, they don't like him still. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Let me shift gears here up to Raleigh. North Carolina state lawmakers unveiled their new budget proposal. It is $27.9 billion. That is a 7.2% increase in spending. It transfers $1 billion to a new reserve account, the State Inflationary Reserve 
is what it's called the State Inflationary Reserve, or the SIR, the S-I-R. It is newly created, and it is in anticipation of a recession. So you could call it, uh, you can call it the Biden account. No, don't do that, because then that means, like, Hunter Biden will start soaking the money out of it. I kid, I, I kid. I mean, those Russian hookers don't pay for themselves. All right. Today, legislative leaders released the 2022 Appropriations Act. This is from the press shop at Senator Phil Berger's office yesterday afternoon. This came down, by the way, at like 530. They did a press conference, so I watched it. I I recorded it, yes, but I did not not pull any audio uh, because it's about the numbers here, and it's going to go through. These are are adjustments that they make. So the word you're going to hear a lot is biennium, which means two-year budget. Okay, that's... It's on a two-year cycle, a biennium. So they did the big budget, which was like the longer, drawn-out process. They do that in the long session. That was last year. And the biennium, two-year cycle, the biennium, so this short session that's on right now, this is just for adjustments. Because they did a two-year budget before. Now they're just making adjustments. And so Phil Leader, uh, Phil Leader, Phil Berger, Senate Leader, and House Speaker Tim Moore Uh, They issued a joint statement saying, quote, this is a responsible budget that responds to our current needs and plans for uncertain economic future. Uh, This budget takes into account the strain of runaway spending from our federal government that is stretching North Carolinians budgets thin and the burden of skyrocketing fuel prices and inflation. Uh, They put in, let's see, four and three quarters of a billion dollars to the rain or to the rainy day fund balance that is separate from the. Sir, from the state inflationary reserve. Okay, so we've got $4.75 billion in the reserve, in the rainy day fund, and then another billion in the inflationary reserve. So 5.75 total. It's almost like they expect something bad's going to happen here. Hmm. Let's see, what else? They establish a labor market salary reserve of $80 million for state agencies to address shortages, staff shortages, and help recruit and retain capable employees. There's a 3.5% pay raise for most state employees. That would be a 6% raise over the two-year cycle. Teachers are getting a 4.2% pay raise on average, bringing the average teacher pay raise to 6.7% over the two-year cycle. If you include bonuses... Teachers are getting an average 14.2% additional compensation over the previous budget. Teachers getting, just want to be clear, you heard that, 14%, if you include the bonuses, 14% increase in average pay. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, they're raising this, uh, the starting salary for entry-level teachers, too. Right now it's at 35 k It's going up to 37 k 37000 a year with guaranteed $1,000 step increases every single year for the first 15 years. Guaranteed. See, everybody always forgets about that part. You start at 37 and you make $1,000 more next year and 1000 more than a year after that, 1000 more the year after that, and that's not including any other supplements or any other bonuses or any other compensation. Um... They did not fund the Leandro uh, education plan. Felt I should point that out. They did not expand Medicaid either. Education funds 
uh, $16.5 billion. $16.5 out of 28. So more than half of the budget is for education, as again, it always is. Education is the biggest, number one, the largest spending priority. Uh, they're adding literacy coaches. They are uh, non-certified public school employees like bus drivers will get a 4% pay raise or be bumped up to 15 an hour, uh, whatever is greater. Uh, $70 million to the state-funded teacher salary supplement, usually for poorer counties that can't afford a supplement. Um, they capped that at $5,000 uh, per supplement. Let's see what else. Uh, expands the income level requirements for the school vouchers, the Opportunity Scholarship Program. That's good. Uh, public safety, school safety, rather, provides $15 million more every year for school resource officer grant programs, specifically for elementary and middle schools. It's going to increase the state match for school resource school resource officer grant programs for the low wealth districts. Um, more money for uh, support programs for students in crisis, as well as school safety training, safety equipment in schools. It allocates twenty six million more to the at risk allotment for um, schools to now hire at least one school resource officer for every high school. Uh, $5 million for cybersecurity and bomb threat preparedness at North Carolina's HBCUs. Those are historically black colleges and universities. Um, capital and infrastructure. Water and wastewater projects, $2.5 billion. They want to build a new education complex for the children in Raleigh and a new governor's office in Raleigh. Uh, they got to renovate and demolish a couple of other downtown government buildings. Um, there's uh, some money in there to defray costs for, uh, capital projects, uh, overrunning because of inflation. Oh, and then there's the, oh, hang on. Uh, 1.8 million from the help America vote act. It's a federal program, uh, to maintain voter lists. Yay. And continue enhancing election technology and security improvements. And then finally, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff, obviously it's a very big budget, but I'm going to get into this in the next segment. It redirects 2% of sales tax revenue to the Highway Trust Fund to support a variety of transportation purposes. That will then go to 6% in the year 2024 and thereafter. This is the first step to address declining transportation revenues to keep up with population growth. Yeah, cars are becoming more fuel efficient and cars are becoming electric. And what does that mean? Yeah, that they're not getting as much money off of the gas tax because people aren't filling up as much. So they have to find another way to fund it. This is a way to fund it, to redirect sales tax revenue. And uh, somebody asked a question on Twitter today, and oh my gosh, outrage ensued. No, I did not ask the question. It was not me. Come on. What 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 are you implying? Hey, a reminder, you are invited, along with your family and your friends, I mean, if you want to bring them, totally up to you. I'm not telling you how to live your life. But if you want to, come celebrate America's Freedom Independence Day at the 4th of July Fireworks Show, the biggest, the best in in the Southeast. It's ours. It's the WBT Sky Show. Yeah. It's on Monday, July 4th. Coincidentally enough, 
It's at Truist Field in Uptown. Come on out. Enjoy the fun of a USA baseball game. And uh, don't miss the amazing 4th of July fireworks show following the game, WBT Sky Show 2022, sponsored by Audi Charlotte. Details are all available at WBT.com. All right, so the state lawmakers, uh, the uh, Republican leaders, they hold a press conference yesterday afternoon at uh, 5.30, and uh, they unveil their budget proposal. Okay, great. And uh, so you got all this reaction coming in from, like, the different nonprofits and you know, the budget and tax center as if anybody should still listen to those folks because they've just been wrong on like every single economic prediction forever. Anyway, um, but you, you've got all these different responses. And one of the responses came from the North Carolina Chamber of Commerce. And they said, we commend the transportation funding modernization in the state budget. And this is what I mentioned earlier. It's redirect. The budget redirects 2% of sales tax revenue about $193 million to go to the Highway Trust Fund to support a variety of transportation purposes. And that 2% is going to increase in 2024-25 and thereafter. This is the first step to addressing declining transportation revenue to keep up with population growth. Okay, so the Chamber of Commerce says, hey, we like this idea. We got to modernize the transportation funding model. If we're going to keep growing jobs for the people in North Carolina. Um, and so this is, oh, sorry, this is going to the highway fund, not the highway trust fund. They're different. There's a general, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, this prompts a question from Donald Bryson, who's with the John Locke Foundation, conservative think tank. And uh, Donald says, in response on Twitter, he says, Do I understand correctly that they're transferring $2.5 billion over the next five years? Okay, and he responded to the chamber, but he also, the chamber's tweet also had all of these uh, lawmakers who were on it that were tagged because they were thanking these lawmakers. And so when Bryson responds, they get tagged in the response too. So he asked, do I correctly understand that they're transferring $2.5 billion over the next five years? State Senator Jim Perry, who was tagged, he responds, or sorry, no, he wasn't tagged. He, he pipes up. He says, I think that it I think that it's based upon what would have originated from transportation. So in other words, this is replacing what would have otherwise come from the gas tax that is now lost. And so then he says, do you have issues with the user paying their way? And Bryson says, I'm all for user fees. It's just that money is fungible, which means interchangeable, right? Different pockets, same set of pants kind of thing. So he says the policy has had little public explanation, and I'd like to know more about why this isn't sales or income taxes paying for transportation. Because it is sales tax paying for transportation. That's exactly what it is, right? You're transferring money coming from sales tax out of the general fund going into the highway fund, and that's that's what that would be. Um, and then he says, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's a substantial shift, which is manifestly true, and I'd like to know more. Vicki Sawyer, state senator, then responds, altruistic questions are asked in person, not on social media. So she's essentially accusing Donald Bryson of asking this question in bad faith, that he's he's not honestly 
uh, trying to get information. Jim Perry then responds, It's a wonderful luxury to be able to lob popular ideas. Unfortunately, governance means you actually have to solve problems, not just write about them. When you have an executable solution, please chime in to the conversation. That is not a good response. It's not a good response. Bryson said, Senator, I wasn't aware that we were arguing. I reiterate that I've asked only for information. When was that not part of civilized policy discussion? Your answer is to tell me to leave the conversation? And Perry then says, hardly. I encourage you to send your ideas for solutions to the issues. I am still encouraging you to do so. But that's actually not what Jim Perry did, right? He called it a luxury to be able to lob popular ideas. That's, that's an insult, right? That's what he's saying. Oh, you're just over there. You could just throw out popular ideas. I'm not so sure that the John Locke Foundation, I don't know if they make uh, a living off of lobbing popular ideas, <laughs> right? They are a think tank. They deal with a lot of ideas, but they are conservatives, and so a lot of their ideas are not popular with, like, media, for example. Also, the, quote, popular idea that the Locke Foundation has talked about is the, um, what do they call this thing? It's a mileage-based, is it MBUF. The MBUF is what they call it. Just flows right off the tongue. Mileage-based user fee, based on the number of miles you're running, which raises all sorts of problems from, you know, privacy issues and and technological issues, that's not exactly a popular idea either. That's what the Locke Foundation has written about. But then there was a sidebar that occurs here. When Bryson said that he's all for user fees, and he says that the policy hasn't had a lot of public explanation, and I want to know uh, why this isn't sales or income taxes paying for transportation. Brent Woodcox, I've quoted him before, he is an advisor to Senator Phil Berger. He says, it should be noted that no tax increase is implicated here. It's purely a question of appropriating money that's already collected in tax revenue. And Bryson said, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's a substantial shift. Woodcock says, it's about 0.65% of the total state budget this year. So I might quarrel with the characterization of a substantial shift. And Bryson says, quote, I'm stunned that you'd quarrel about anything on Twitter. <laughs> So then Woodcox takes that as an insult and says, I'm stunned you'd pick this extremely unpopular strategy for your advocacy of General Assembly members who actually set policy. And Bryson says, do you think I'm advocating for it at the moment? What do you think that is? I'm asking a question. And Woodcox says, so maybe one strategy would be to hold your tongue until you actually know what is happening instead of creating bad blood with the folks who actually make these decisions. Wow, that's condescension from the Republican leadership. Not a good look. I'll see you tomorrow.